Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the winners coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Cory Phone and Isis, and we're here to talk about Game of Thrones Season 8, filming spoilers. Yeah, I guess you could call them spoilers, because there's a lot of exciting things going on in the past three weeks that we haven't been on air, but before we start, speaking of wrestle, wrestling, wrestling uh, entrances, Cory Phone, something exciting happened at WrestleMania. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, there was a kid who is now named Nicholas, who is now the tag team champion. Is that what you wanted to talk about? Because I, I love that gimmick. Is. No, uh, so it was it was a pretty cool thing. Seth Rollins uh, is now the new Intercontinental Champion, and he is a big Game of Thrones fan. I guess I didn't really know this, but he came out with his ring gear was made to look like the Night's King, and all of his lights were blue instead of a different color. And didn't he and, have blue... Uh... Yeah, he wore very bright blue contacts. Like, he had the same kind of eyes that, like, the Night's King has. That's and when awesome. he came out, the ring announcer was like, he comes out, there's fire. He, he gets pyro, because he's a big deal. He uh, There's pyro going all around him, and he's... <laughs> and the announcer says, from the from the fires of... Or through the fires of, of Viseron, or whatever the dragon's name is. Viserion! Uh, Viserion! You know the the Kingslayer uh, instead of Jamie, it was the Kingslayer Seth Rollins, and I was like, "The hell is going on right now? Did they approve this with HBO?" <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Through the flames of Viserion, winter yeah, is so here." Winter is here. Yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, Seth Rollins is one of the best uh, and most athletic wrestlers. He's a um, and now he's the Intercontinental Champion. It was a match with the Miz and Finn Balor, who. Uh, Another two great wrestlers. It was a good match. People seemed to have liked it. I enjoyed it. So, oh, is it pronounced Balor? Balor, I believe. Yeah, Finn Balor. He, uh, it's it's Celtic or whatever. Because I was pronouncing it Balor, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, man! Nice connection." But I guess now no. I'm pretty sure it's Balor. It's it's a Balor is like a, a either I'm I don't really know the exact myth behind it, but it's a demon in like the old country. And uh, in certain matches, he'll dress up like the demon. And when he does that, he's unbeatable, and he's fantastic. And <laughs> The Miz has been around for 70 years now and is as dependable as ever. Who got, who got to start on uh, MTV's whatever? The real world, yeah. yeah. And he's i mean—he truly hes one of the best heels in the game. He knows how to work a mic better than just about anyone. And, and he's done a lot to for the Intercontinental Division, and he's put guys over, and he's done it pretty safely for the most part. He's got a few botches in his career, but as, as a whole, I like Miz a lot. If you're not into wrestling, um, you need to go watch that show Glow on Netflix. Oh, so and good. It's a great show. I know a bunch of people now, friends of mine, that are now into wrestling because of Glow because they it really is like, a, oh, shit, this is just, uh, this is just like fighting in a soap opera for guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah that's where it is. And so when, when WWE in particular, when WWE has like a focused uh, story arc they want to tell and they have the right guys in place like they did with, you know, Seth Rollins and stuff, they can tell a great long form story that takes a year or two to tell. Uh, and it's got a huge payoff, you know, uh, Seth Rollins, just a WrestleMania 30 or whichever one it was when he cashed in money in the bank a few years ago. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, that was a huge payoff. That was a year's worth of storytelling that paid off uh, at, at WrestleMania. So it, it's just uh, wrestling gets shit on a bunch by people who don't watch it, and I get it because it is dumb. 
but it's also very earnest. And I how, think that's how many other things are dumb that people like. It's it's just another hobby that, that people like. So I don't put it like that. this. There's there in back in the day, uh, a, one lady in wrestling uh, gave birth to uh, a hand, like just a, a hand <laughs> in goo. And that's that is not as dumb as The Walking Dead. So you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take it for what you will. Anyway, that's but that's zing, what happened to that me. That was good. That was a good zing. I, I was about to say you're losing me, and I, and and yeah. Okay. The last Trust time I was interested in wrestling, though, I will say this was whenever DX, obviously because I ran entrance. DX was was a big thing, and you had The Rock with um, what was it? Rock was leading his group. The um. Nation, nation of domination. Nation of nation domination. Of domination. And then you had the, the Undertaker leading his vampires and all his undead people. All those guys except for The Rock were at WrestleMania. <laughs> I know. I saw that uh, the Taker was there. I was like, fuck yeah, Taker. Taker yeah, Taker was there and he he did okay. He's he's a little beat up. And then uh you know, the thing about, you know, Triple H, who in real life is like the COO of WWE, he him and Stephanie had a uh, mixed tag match with Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And Rousey actually looked pretty good, and she actually picked up Triple H and slammed oh. him as well. It was good. It was great. She looked really good. Um, it was a fun show. It wasn't the best. The first two hours were excellent. The last hour kind of tanked, uh, but not as bad as people are pretending. It, you know. But anyway, I'll shut up now about Mania. So well, it's, it was, <laughs> was fun. Say, it was a fun Game of Thrones themed entrance. It was a fun Game of Thrones themed entrance. It was nice. Yes. All right, so let's move on to another topic of mine, a favorite of mine, actually, Lady Stoneheart. And if you don't know who Lady Stoneheart is, then you have not listened to this podcast or read a single fucking article that I've ever written at One Year's Coming. But just to catch you up, she is the undead ghoulish version of Lady Catelyn Stark, um, uh, Lord Beric Dondarrion, the guy on the show who has the flaming sword in the books. He kisses her dead, almost headless corpse when he finds it by a river, and she comes back to life. He dies giving his last life to her like a cat his last life goes into her and she lives and um she becomes this vengeful soul and she goes around killing phrase and all that kind of stuff anyway she's been a very uh controversial topic for people who are fans of the books and the show because the show didn't include her and uh benioff and weiss infamously said or not it was actually benioff and weiss it was a producer said there was no reason to bring her on the show because why have a vengeful zombie on the show full of dragons and blah, blah. It was I'm misquoting, but anyway, he shit on Lady Stoneheart. How dare he? God damn him. And um, so a lot of people didn't think that Lady Stoneheart was going to be very important in the next book, The Winds of Winter, which is also <sighs> an often talked about subject. And we are all very butthurt that it's not out right now. But George R. R. Martin did an interview a few months ago with a Chinese Esquire. I didn't know that this was an actual magazine. I know a lot of companies have different, like, magazines all across the world, but I didn't know that there was an actual Chinese Esquire, but that's pretty cool. He's got the cover, and he looks hilarious on the cover. He's wearing a crown, carrying a sword, um, looking like goofy George R. R. Martin. And he talked about that Lady Stoneheart is going to be important in the next book. So if you are a Lady Stoneheart fan like myself, then get hyped, motherfuckers. She's going to be important in the next book. Now we can move on to our next topic. Because my two co-hosts don't give a fuck about books. All right, so I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. You don't I give mean, a fuck I, about my books. 
You can well, this is true. I'm, I'm, if you're talking about fan fiction, then I'm, I'm with you there. Um, which, which Lady Stoneheart is in some of my fan fiction that I'm reading. Oh, um, oh, really? And so, yeah. Why, why, yes. Why, yes. Which, uh, but I mean, it takes it. Ta- I mean, I don't know how true and accurate it is to the books because you know I haven't read the books. But anyway, uh, no, no, but, no, no, I mean, no, no, no. Don't, don't anyway me. Tell me something about. A little bit of fan because I know about. Oh no, she's still she's still mean to uh to John Snow. Uh, so fuck she's, her. yeah yeah exactly. I mean it's it's not gonna be stuff that you're gonna want to read. Right. Um, I thought it was just some kind of kinky sex stuff with like a, a war. Oh no 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 okay. no. I mean I'm sure that it's out there, but I I don't get into that stuff, so I don't I don't read that stuff. Uh, but anyway, so you know I would have actually liked to have seen her included if it was done right um I would have loved loved to have seen her you know kind of you know from the afterlife figure out that Jon Snow is not really her husband's son but actual nephew um and then to to see you know and just been like kind of motherfucker yeah, well, to to repent to the way she, you know, she treated him, you know, so so horribly. So uh, I would have I would have liked to have seen her included in the show, but I just know that it, there was no way that was well, going to happen. On the show, Catelyn Stark before the red wedding, as they're headed back towards the twins, she tells Rob Stark's wife um, Talia, whatever her name was, I believe it's Talia. It's she's not in the books anyway. She tells her that had all this stuff that she feels like. All the wars that had started, everything that had happened was because she could not love a motherless child. Because her husband brought home this child, he claimed was his, from the wars, and she prayed to the gods that if um, she saved Jon Snow when he was a baby, or if the gods saved Jon Snow because he had a fever or some shit, then she would treat him, she would love him like her own, and then she couldn't do it, so then she felt like the gods were punishing her. She kind of showed some contrition there. That never happens in the book. She always hates him. She's always a straight-up asshole to, to Jon Snow. So, But, uh, Corey Thone, you always, you always harsh on The Walking Dead, with good reason, by the way. I still hate watching it, but with good reason, you shed on the show. So, if you had – we already have White Walkers and, and, and the Undead army walking around the show now, a lot now. If you have Lady Catelyn Stark walking around as Lady Stoneheart, do we get Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead – or is, or do you think HBO does a better job with zombies than AMC does? Um, I actually would say C. No, <laughs> C. no, I, I actually would say that to their credit, AMC has done a good job of building the world in which The Walking Dead is set with the zombies and stuff. It's a different kind of zombie than the than Game of Thrones, obviously, yeah. but um. My biggest thing with Lady Stoneheart, and I understand some of the things she does, and it's a cliffhanger with her and Brienne and Pod or whatever in the book, but it's not necessarily that she's unimportant to the story going forward. I think it's more that you can take the things she does, give them to characters that were already established, like Arya, for example, Mm -hmm. and and have a, a big payoff that... Uh, which, you know, that's not the – it proves it's not 100 percent accurate because getting Arya back to Westeros involved the chase, and we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> but there's – The Terminator I, I just – I think one of the biggest reasons they cut Stoneheart out of, the, out of the show was because they showed us that Barrett could be resurrected, and then they didn't show that again until Jon Snow. They wanted to save that mm. for Jon. 
Great and they, they wanted to, to let you know that it's possible in season one and then shut the shit up about it and let it go until John breathes while on the table. And I think that was the whole point of cutting her out. Um, I think that might have been a little – because I don't know. I just feel like the entire show has changed if she's in it. Like from has to be. Has to be. Everything is way different, so I don't know how you fit her in there. I think that she's an example of a character that is important in the book that can be unimportant in the show, and it still work. And I, I, I think I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, obviously people draw parallels between Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings a lot, and I'm not comparing the two characters for you book nerds out there about to yell at me. But in the books. There's a character of Lord of the Rings. There's a character named Tom Bombadil oh. that is that is a fun, weird, strange, useless but not useless character in the I books. Him. I love him so much, but completely unnecessary in the movie. <laughs> and they <laughs> they cut him out, and they were able to to write around that. And I think that's I think Stoneheart got Bombadilled. So, <laughs> which uh, Amazon's probably going to bring Bombadil back to 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 the screen. So there you go. Ooh. Jokes and japes and snakes oh, and rakes yeah. and blood. And barrels. It's going to spend $20 billion to have somebody, you know, doing slam poetry in <laughs> the middle earth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've had our say about Lady Stoneheart. I think that's a great point about uh, – You know what? I think when if Smith is able to join us later, we have to bring it up again so he can bitch about it. <laughs> oh, he will. <laughs> Although I will say that Smith is not as married to Lady Stoneheart as I am. I, okay. I, I he's he always makes fun of me for getting pissy about Lady Stoneheart. Like we, every, it's a big, it's an ongoing joke in, in the writers' channel for Wick that I always talk about Lady Stoneheart and everything that we do. Like, hey, can we bring up Lady Stoneheart as a joke? And Smith's always getting pissy about it. So it's a joke, whatever. As a book reader, he doesn't really care about. Uh, the lady as much as I do. But let's let's move on to a different topic. Um, Game of Thrones just finished up the longest shoot, battle shoot, I guess, um, ever for uh, the show. Um, and they congratulated themselves, which is nice. Uh, they sent out a congratulatory uh, memo uh, that said, congratulations for 55 nights straight. And what this, ha- this happened at, and I'm pronouncing this correctly, so laugh all you want. McHattermorn. I almost messed it up again, but McHattermorn, Corey. And that's where the big green screen was. That's where we're having a massive fucking battle shoot. And uh, they did 55 nights of filming there, guys. Um, That's like a lot. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot. I can't imagine doing anything I like for 55 nights straight. (laughs) But uh, it's... It's something that's pretty impressive because not only do you have this lengthy shoot and the the largest green screen that's ever been on the show before, and probably in I'm probably misquoting this fact, which I I know I'll get rammed for it later, but uh, probably the biggest green screen in television history. It's large, and um, so you've got the undead that have been seen there filming. You've got the unsullied, which have been seen there filming. The Dothraki. A northern type army and um, what appear to be main characters bobbing and weaving through the armies. So like you can't nobody can focus on it because it's been filmed from so far away. But uh, pretty sure there's some main characters involved. And if this is a 55 night 
length of, of a shoot, it's going to be main characters evolved, guys. So you probably got guys like Jon Snow, um, Barry Dondarrion, Tormund. Uh, you probably got Jamie Lannister since he's headed to the north. Obviously the Night King, uh, probably Danny and her dragons because they're using the big gigantic green screen. You probably got gigantic walkers. You probably got um, all the main. Like you probably got Grey Worm there from the Unsullied, and so it's a pretty big deal. Um, Bone, you're my TV aficionado, and I, I'm not sure how uh, vested you are in, in filming of other shows, but have you ever heard of another 55 night shoot in one straight location? In TV or movie? T- either. Yes. Okay. Not. I just talked about Lord of the Rings, but yeah. So well, okay. Both, Lord of the Rings would be something. Yeah, both okay. uh, Helm Deep was 120 days. Oh my I god! That, I did I not know that, that. I saw that in an article about this uh, this fight scene they filmed here, and I'm pretty sure the Battle of Pelennor Fields was also longer than 55 days, um, which makes sense because those are both like shit. Helm's Deep is a 30 plus minute battle, and probably and, one of uh, the best ever in, in a film. It's One probably night. the best in that trilogy, yeah. and which puts it in the top five or six of all time for sure. Yes. Uh, green screen wise, I haven't ever heard of anything that massive. And in terms of the amount of uh, days, and, and that's the thing is, I'm pretty sure it was 55 days of filming within like they only had like a break every like 10 days. Yeah, like it was it was knocking it out, getting it done. I can't imagine how tired. Like the grip was and stuff, you know, it's just insane. Which is why uh, they this, would send out a, mem- a memo, like a an actual carded letter from Jonathan Quinlan, the AD, that says, <laughs> "Congratulations for uh, enduring 55 straight nights, for enduring the cold, the snow, the rain, uh, the mud, the sheep shed of Tome, to- and the winds of Magharamorn." So it's a lot of stuff that was going on there. So. um yeah, the producers were pretty pleased with how it turned out, but I can't even imagine how this battle is going to be put on screen. Isis, you were talking about if this lets you down in any way, you're going to be very upset. How could a 55-night battle shoot for Game of Thrones, famous for uh, an episode where they spent they, – they fought for the wall – uh, the Watchers on the Wall, and famous for the Battle of the Bastards, for the massacre at Hardhome. How could a 55-night shoot be disappointing? You tell me. If it's too flippin' long and useless. Like, really? I, I'm serious. I mean, there there comes a point where you can, there's only, like, at least for me, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, that I can only be emotionally invested into a war, in, into a fight for so long before I get exhausted. Okay. Then I'm, if I'm, if I'm exhausted, then I'm just like, oh my god, when is this going to end? <laughs> when is this going to stop? Seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, it could be just be action packed and everything, but if you're talking about like two hours of war all together, you know, I need, I need some shit to to break up the the. You know, the fighting, there needs to be some dialogue or something or, uh, you know, other stories going on and everything. I think that's what they did so well in Battle of the Bastards because it was completely entertaining from the beginning of the fight to the very end. Yeah, didn't we and, have and did, didn't we have Danny um, uh, surviving the attack from the Masters and, and taking over Marine 
And that, and exactly. That. But, but we went to different places. It wasn't just all in one location. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like if we, if it's just constant, you know, if we're talking about, you know, and, and something that I like to reference is, is even like, uh, Steven Spielberg when he does a, a movie, uh, one of them was it private, uh, private Ryan, uh, saving private Ryan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not all of it was action. I mean, it was one of a very intense action sequences that happened in that movie, uh, several different action sequences that are very intense, but you still have moments where, walking you know, it kind talking. of broke it up. Yeah. Vin walking Diesel and talking, dying. Which, <laughs> but you don't realize how much you need that just to kind of get emotionally back into that so you can be prepared. But if you're just constantly bam, 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 bam uh, for a long period of time, uh, you, you just start looking around going, OK, wh- wh- when is it? When's it enough? When, when can I when I can I when can I have a moment to breathe so I can enjoy all of these other moments? I can see your so, point. But let me ask uh, that. That's just me. But I'm going to tell you this. If they fuck it up. I will come out of writing retirement, <laughs> and I will freaking write a whole entire article for Wick. Dan, you're welcome for free, and uh, and and I will just freaking skin that episode alive. So don't fuck it up. I I I would love for that to happen. So I'm almost kind of hoping that it will fuck up, but then I don't want it to. So I, I don't know how I feel about that. But um, I, I see what you got. You have a great point about it needs to be. There needs to be some exposition, right? There needs to be some talking. There needs to be some some walking, some whatever. Maybe visit a couple locations. But, Thone, I have another question about this. Hasn't all seven seasons built up to this point? Haven't we had seven seasons of exposition to build up to this battle? Haven't we had Danny moving from uh, Meereen and Arya coming back from Bravos to Westeros and Jamie coming from La- from King's Landing and and Jon Snow coming back to life, and everybody gathering at Winterfell to defend against the Night King. Night King busting down the wall. Hasn't that all been set up perfectly for, so we could have an episode of two hours, nothing but blood, mud, and guts? I actually agree with Isis. Okay. If it's two hours straight of battling, then it's going to get too. It's it's going to overload the senses. Um, if you look at like the best battles in this show, for example, mm-hmm. they are they, I mean they're big time ba- battles like Battle of the Bastards or Hard Home or whatever, uh, but they are sandwiched with non-fighting and sometimes they're actually peppered in the middle with other things happening as well. It's it's just too visceral. I'm trying to think of like an example in my head, but I'm having a hard time thinking of a movie that is just nonstop, like literally nonstop action. Like, and, and oh, you know what? A good example would be like John Wick or something like that. Mm-hmm. But John Wick is so over the top and tongue in cheek that you expect it, it. You expect that with Game of Thrones, there's, this is not uh, a meta commentary on medieval battles. This is going to be a, a big fight scene. Hopefully, I mean, I'm expecting it to be a big ass fight scene to be filming that long. I don't think it'll be two hours. I, the episode might be two hours, but the yeah, fight no, the battle itself, itself no. Yeah, and, and I I would even go back to Lord of the Rings. Not to interrupt you, but you know, going back to Lord of the Rings, even that was peppered, you know, long, long ass fight scenes, but still peppered in there of walking and talking, walking and talking, yeah. and you know, all this other stuff that that was going on. So. I mean, yeah, I just yeah. If like... you go back and look at Helm's Deep, uh, which is is I think the closest thing we can compare this to, 
55 night of, of filming. Just the, the sheer amount of extras they must have. Television to this. film absolutely compares. compares. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, even film to film, I can't think of any other, like, battle scenes of this, this size with swords and arrows. I mean, you can right. start talking about, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan was a good example, Isis, or insert any other world, like Dunkirk or something, but it's, I mean, honestly, with, with the amount of extras, the mud and stuff they're going to have to be dealing with, a lot of this was, was getting short shots with a lot of people in the frame, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of it was moving equipment around to make the set look even bigger than it was. And, and you know, there's uh, it, that's, that's a big part of it, I think. That's one of the reasons that it took so long was uh, the amount of B-roll, if you will, the non-major player in the shot stuff they had to film is probably a lot. So... Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Uh, Helm's Deep, like you were saying, Isis, there were parts where they would retreat inward more and more, and then you'd get, you know, Gandalf and Mary talking about. Oh, actually, that was. I'm sorry, that was actually the Pelmer Fields. But well, you even, Gandalf, but in no, Helm's Deep, you had yeah. Helm's Deep, you had great moments like when they retreated. You had great moments like uh, Gimli saying, "Not the beard." That kind yeah. of stuff, you know. Great. Well, when he goes to blow the horn, they ride out together. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, you get those moments where they're they're talking and stuff. So yeah, it's got to be peppered with some non visceral stuff, or it's going to get just overwhelmed. And you do bring up a good point with uh, Hard Home. Even in Hard Home, Jon Snow arrives with the Night's Watch and Tormund. Tormund kills Rattleshirt. Then they talk to the, the elders of the Wildlings. You got two new characters: the the Magnar of Thin, and then you got uh, Carsey that were introduced and killed. In the same shoot, and then you got, uh, you know, Ed's, uh, Ed Ed Tollett's great scene where he looks up and sees the lemmings of the undead falling off the cliff and goes, "Oh fuck!" and runs. And then you got, <laughs> yeah. and then you got uh, one one charging out of the house, stomping on undead, swinging a big fucking tree, killing everybody. So there were some great non-visceral moments that were, I mean, were funny, I guess, in a way, but they were also action-packed and. I just don't see where there's going to be anything humorous about this setup unless you've got the Night's Watch there and Ed and he and John have some moment or Tormund says something about the size of his dick. So as long as long as you know we don't have just wall to wall two hours of just nothing but fighting and war, uh, I think I think Game of Thrones will be happy. And I, and I have to admit, you know, Game of Thrones has never done an episode where I would say, oh, my God, there was too much fighting. So as long as they, you know, so they, I think they know what the formula is. They know what the formula is. As long as they keep with the formula, I think they'll be fine. Um, so that that is just my only concern. They just better not fuck it up. Corey Smith, we're talking about uh, the big shoot at McHattermore and Quarry, and we're talking about how 55 nights of shooting might might translate to screen time. What are your feelings? Does it need to be broken up with talking, walking, and setting up exposition, or does it need to be nothing but blood, mud, and guts? Um, I mean, you know, the more we kind of have learned about it, it seems like this is going to be, I mean, I I know 55 days sounds like it automatically means it's going to be the biggest battle they've ever had, but, I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, they just have been filming everything. So my feeling is they're going to have everybody and everything in it. I mean, I don't know if y'all talked about 
the images of the shields and um, you know all the different houses that are going to be there. We haven't got to that point yet. No, but bring it's a good it's a good way that you're segueing right into that. So go ahead with it. Well, so the in the images we had um, you know like th- these were post kind of like I think after they were cleaning up from the battle sort of. Before you um, say this, you cannot mention it unless you say who brought us those photos. Watchers of my balls or something like that. Is that, right? <laughs> is that? Is that? Did I? Did I butcher it? It's something along those lines. Watchers Watcher on, on my balls. Yes. Okay. So that eloquently named uh, spy brought us images of. It's basically like all the discarded kind of props uh, from the shoot, right? So we had. A lot of the shields that you would expect, we had the Knights of the Veil, and we had a lot of the northern houses. Um, but we did have one that popped up. We had how, uh, the Greyjoys. Yeah. Um, we had a bunch of shields adorned with, with the Kraken. So if that's true, that mean I mean, th- that opens up all kinds of possibilities. But it, it almost, to me, sounds like it might be like the last battle you know, everybody basically has gotten their act together and they're all fighting together. So, I mean, I, I don't know, but that certainly would explain the 55 night shoot. You know, if they've got, you know, if they've got everybody involved from every corner of Westeros, that's not going to be, you know, a quick battle. That's going to be something where, you know, like we've had battles that took up the whole episode, but, you know, like Battle of Backwater, uh, Castle Black, those took up the whole episode, but they were a lot of exposition in between. Right. So I'm guessing we get one that's almost entirely, you know, up to an hour of just nonstop action, sort of, you know, think about like some of the battles from Lord of the Rings and and things of that nature where they're 45, 50 minutes long of, of almost entirely just actual fighting. Yeah, we've been talking about Lord of the Rings, Corey Thone and Isis and I, we've been talking about Helm's Deep and that kind of stuff. And I think it's important not to downplay the fact that House Greyjoy was represented in this battle and what that might mean for who's there um, and when this episode might take place. Uh, we've got six episodes, correct, in Season 8. We know that they're probably going to be lengthier than – uh, the past seven seasons. Um, that's not confirmed, but most likely. And um, the fact that we've never really seen on the show House Greyjoy fight inland, except for the second season when they fought at Winterfell. Right? Am I right, Corey Smith? Yeah, I mean, they took over the North uh, in season two. I mean, they, they make a point in the books about how the Greyjoys aren't supposed to fight away from water. Krakens um, don't fight but, away from the water. Right. That's one of the reasons why Yara, you know, basically said Theon was doomed when he took over Winterfell because he was so far from the sea. Um, and so, yeah, we haven't really seen them fight on land. Obviously, last season we saw Euron, you know, wreak havoc on Danny's ships at sea, but we hadn't seen them fight on land. And even, you know, we haven't really seen them fight with shields very much. Um, yeah, usually they're all axes and and right. Races they're, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, even in that battle with with uh, Theon and Euron last last season, we didn't really see a bunch of shields laying around. So this is kind of something new. So I think, like you said, we I don't think we can underscore 
enough the fact that we saw those shields. I mean, as soon as I was scrolling through the pictures, I was like, holy shit, because that's, you know, that's completely out of place for everything that we've seen, you know, thus far. And let's also say that they weren't just shields. They were very exquisitely detailed courses. So, yeah, like, they, the, the, they, in full, but they weren't in gray, uh, um, gray joy uniforms. They were, like, brown. And I don't know if that's done for color for screen effect or whatnot, but they were in, like, a brownish color, uh, gray joy armor and leather, and they had the shields. We also saw unsullied corpses with the helmets, the, the characteristic helmets and their plumes, uh, skeletons and other, like Corey Smith said, shields from other houses. Um, Corey Phone, with with the knowledge that House Greyjoy is going to be part of this battle, I mean, we've already talked about how massive it's going to be. Though we, there's no sense going back and talking about it over and over and over again, how massive it's going to be. But does that... 55 nights, sorry. 55 nights! Uh, Helm's Deep! Oh my god! Um, but how does that... Does that what does that make you feel like this episode might fall in? I mean, could they could they possibly spread this battle out over a couple episodes, maybe? Or is this going to be one episode off, the final battle, or maybe I'm, I can't even imagine this being like a mid-season battle. What do you think? I think that – I don't think this is the final battle. I bet the final battle is going to be a different kind of thing. This – actually, I think it's a good point. This might be spread out over multiple episodes. Um and and I think that it's it's going to be um, I don't know how to say this it's going to be uh, uh, the battle before this I mean God damn it it's going to be the Helm's Deep God damn it of the <laughs> of of Game of Thrones because that that battle is huge and epic and it might be the cool it's probably the coolest battle overall in in Lord of the Rings but it's not the battle. Like it's not there's there's a big one after it. Then you have the Black Gate. Like you have all that stuff. So, like yeah, I mean this is gonna be huge. This is where armies collide. But I don't know if it's gonna be the last one we see. I mean, you got to think there's gonna be something at King's Landing toward the end. All that kind of stuff. So yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, all we need there um, is Tyrion in the battle going. Nobody tosses a dwarf. So and then we will be set for Helm's Deep. I cannot jump it up. <laughs> <laughs> Did we all just watch that right before the podcast? Actually, yes, it was on Stars. Yeah, I watched yes. it while I ate dinner. No, I did. Yeah, I did too. So I was just, I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page. So, but, yeah. but, and you, you weren't here for this. But the fact is, is that the only, I mean, it's just a, to me, I can't think of anything else. There's not another TV show or movie that involves medieval battles that has battles that are as grand as a 55 night filming. So it's just like the easiest comparison. Isis, uh, before we leave this battle behind and go to our next spot, um, you talked about you need – I keep saying the word exposition. I don't want to keep repeating myself like Helm's Deep, but we're going to say it again. We kind of are repeating ourselves with this, but yes. Yes, It's we because are. I keep bringing up Helm's Deep. <laughs> so Isis, what – you need to see Yara and, 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 and maybe Theon there? leading House Greyjoy, or would you be satisfied with Euron taking over House Greyjoy and leading his troops up there because he realizes how, how bad the threat is? Would you be happy with just a couple of the main characters there, or would do you need to see Arya out there with her daggers and her and her sword and, and Brienne swinging her sword around and, and Jon Snow leading the charge with Tormund by his side? Do you need to see all the main players in this battle? 
Oh, absolutely. I need to see main players. I mean, that I think that I think what we're going to end up seeing is a lot of the uh, main players. Um, this is, you know, we keep on hearing spoilers about people saying, oh, when I read the final scene or, you know, read the final draft or whatever, I, I was crying and everything. And, and I think it's going to be beautiful because I think they're. Their deaths, because I think there will be multiple deaths. I don't know who it's gonna who it's gonna be, but I think there will be multiple deaths, um, and it's gonna be symbolic to who they are. Like their their death won't be just in vain. It will be for a purpose, uh, a larger purpose. And I think that is gonna make it the bittersweet that everybody keeps on mentioning. Like, oh, you know, it's gonna be a, a bittersweet sweet, you know, moment or whatever the case may be. Memory. And- <laughs> yeah, and uh, I so I feel like that's what's gonna end up happening. Um, Euron, I have no thinking of that he's gonna actually help out anybody other than himself. He's gotta die, uh, right? Like, yeah, I mean, he's gotta die before you this happens. Would think so? You would think so, but it would almost make it okay for him to live, tuck his tail and run, and live to fight another day. You know what I mean? Like I could see him totally doing that. And then getting toasted by a, a you know a dragon or something, but um, That'd be amazing. But I I'm seriously I, I I really feel like you know if you if you really think that your fave is going to be at the end of this, uh, you haven't been watching the same show I've been watching. Uh, but I do feel like that it's there when if they do die or if something does happen to them, it will be symbolic to who they are. Like ISIS I just mean, pulled a uh, Ramsey Bolton on us. If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, I mean, it truly is the way it is. I mean, I, I love um, one of my favorite characters is going to be Tormund, and I, I have I, I know that he's probably going to end up dead, and and but he'll probably end up dead trying to save Brienne and showing like how much he really cares about her and stuff like that. And uh, I feel like you know Brienne is going to go ahead and probably die saving one of the daughters, whether it be Sansa. Or, or the other one. I mean, I, I really feel like that these these deaths that will probably happen or whatever does happen, it will be symbolic of who they are as a character and what we have grown to, to watch them do. I mean, hell, even, um, uh, the, um, what's his name? I, I'm blanking out now. Probably the second glass of wine I had. It, it's making me blank right now. But anyway, so it, it's just, that's just the way I see it happening. And, you know, it would, and, and it would be okay with me if that did happen. Corey Smith, you had a point. I had a couple points. Sorry that I'm jumping on late, but so there was that report from LSR from Los Cieto Reynos, which is the Spanish kind of band site. Nice pronunciation. Good job. And, Yes, sir. And uh, so they had said that this this battle that we're talking about takes place in season in episode three, and um, that uh, that two of the people two of the people that they confirmed to be at that battle are Jamie and Brienne. So um, we didn't necessarily get any kind of photo evidence to back up Jamie, but there was. I mean. Gwendolyn Christie is, I forget how tall, she's like 6'5 six, six, or 6'4? Six, yeah, four? she's like 6'2 six, 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 or so. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's tall. 
She's very t- she's much taller than most of the people on set, and there was there was someone that matched her figure with the with the blonde hair on set, and so um, that that report said that they're both at that battle that, and that they're fighting side by side, um, and that it takes place in episode three, and then that leaves the battle of Winterfell for episode four. Oh my god, that'd be so amazing to watch. Her so to me, this this battle we're talking about it. It's it sounds less like a Helm's Deep and more like a Empire Strikes Back kind of thing. Like this battle seems to me like one they're gonna lose and they're gonna lose badly. Um. So and then they fall back because then they fall back to Winterfell and then you We've know seen Winterfell, all the pictures from Winterfell with the the walls covered in blood and stacks of bodies everywhere. Right. So and then Winterfell goes down. Right. And then Winterfell goes down and they're just basically you know, hightailing it for King's Landing. So, um, I mean, I agree with ISIS, though. I think we're going to see a couple people go down. I wouldn't be surprised if Euron shows up, like, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question for Euron to show up thinking he's going to take out Jamie, or, you know, take out Jamie, take out John and Danny, and runs into the Army of the Dead, on, you know, or comes mid-battle. You know what I mean? I would love that. I would love like, for him to he, and have to turn tail and then get killed on the way out. Right, or he could, you know, he could turn tail and then basically he hightails it solo back to King's Landing after he after the Golden Company gets wiped out. So something like that. But this one, I think, definitely is going to be episode three. And I mean, given that the fact that some of these episodes are going to be obviously much longer than normal, we could still get twenty minutes of exposition and still have a forty-five minute battle. You know what I mean? We could still have huge, right. long battle scenes with the with the normal, you know, kind of talking. Well, you do bring up a good point. You brought up King's Landing, so that's going to bring us over to our next topic. Since we've talked about uh, the quarry enough, um, uh, Titanic Studios has uh, been the site of the largest practical set for the Game of Thro- for Game of Thrones uh, yet. Um, it is a um, a reproduction of uh, King's Landing from like. Dubrovnik and uh, what's what's the other city they used in Spain there, uh, Smith? Um, my mind just went blank. They, we've, uh, used, we've seen two cities used, used for King's Landing, but Dubrovnik is the main city uh, over in Croatia, and Titanic Studios is setting up a, a set for that. Um, it's huge, and recently a new addition to the set has been a massive crossbow. Like much like the scorpion that uh, Bronn used to shoot um, Drogon during uh, the loot train battle, but where this is different is the crossbow is like a four-pronged, almost an anchor-looking type bolt at the end of a crossbow. So it looks like um, Kyburn has learned his lesson and has built a much larger bolt. And something that would do damage to the wing of a dragon, especially if it pierces it and is yanked out, if it's attached to a chain. So, um, if we know that they, um, Game of Thrones pr- uh, production is filming, uh, once again at the Dragon Pit area in Spain, uh, the ruins of Italica. So, there's, uh, an old, uh, gladiator ruins there where they dr- filmed the Dragon Pit last season. They're filming there again this season and it's gonna be an extended shoot. So, Hmm. Do we think, uh, Isis? Do you think we? You think Danny's gonna lose another dragon 
Is she gonna lose all her dragons? Because it's look at look if Cersei and Kyburn and everybody's prepared for her dragons now. She's no longer a surprise. Uh, these no, are no longer a surprise. She brought them to the big dragon pit me meeting. She lost Viserion already. She brought them to the big dragon pit meeting, and Cersei took note that there are only two of them. And now she's got this brand new crossbow. Is Danny gonna lose another goddamn dragon in season eight? Look, reading my fan fiction has me believing. Oh God, that we're gonna see John on a motherfucking dragon. Woo! I'm a believer. I ship it right now. John, we will see John on a dragon. Now, whether or not he lasts on that dragon, it's it, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we need some more some more data. He but was I already really, on a dragon at the end of season I mean, seven. The, the oh! <laughs> hey oh! I uh, love it. Anyway, so um, I feel like we're gonna see John on a dragon now. Whether or not the crossbow takes the dragon out or whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, it's a little too soon to tell. And, and I'm sure like, as we get closer, we'll find out some spoilers and stuff like that. But I feel like it was very telling last season when the dragon came up to John and smelled him and was like kind of interested into finding out who he was. And Danny kind of gave this look like, Oh my God, I can't believe he did that. You know, he never does that kind of thing. Right. Um, that was really telling that, you know, it's going to be, that he could possibly be a dragon rider, and um, and I think that because he's going to learn how to ride a dragon differently, um, that, I mean, I, I just I feel like there's there's that whole opening for that. But I, I could see one of the dragons dying. I hope there's they're not left with just one dragon, or all the dragons are gone, or whatever the case well, may be. Danny's Danny's living living dragons are Drogon, which was named after uh, Khal Drogo, her husband, mm -hmm. and Rhaegal, which was named after uh, John's all actual father. Yeah, all dead people. Rhaegar, well, dead people, obviously. But if John is going to ride a dragon, which we've not, which they did, kind of, you're right, they set it up a little bit. He was able to pet Drogon's snout, and Drogon sniffed him, and basically recognized him for a Targaryen. We all swooned when it happened um they kind of sort of set it up like okay it would not be the worst thing for to have another dragon rider in the show right so like and they also kind of set it up whenever danny um evacuated everybody from the battle of, of the frozen lake uh except for john they all got on dragon's back and flew off although, although she was steering everybody else jumped on back and on the back and they rode off so we have other people riding dragons and it could be it could happen um it's just Bone, would you be surprised to see John ride a dragon? Is it too much, or is it just right? It's just enough. I don't know. I, I guess if it it could work, he is a he is a targ, so it's fine. But I I think that if they, I I'm worried that they'll use it as a way to to like because we already know his lineage, right? Right, and. They're gonna avoid having Bran just be like, "Oh, hey, you guys, uh, you shouldn't bang," because uh, oops. But yeah, so they're gonna avoid that by like setting the stuff up for the characters to figure it out by having like Ray the the R Dragon, uh, Ray Gall, Ray Gall, yes, Ray Gall, yeah, Ray Ray Gall, Ray Gall, be like, be like, "Hey, what's up, John? You uh." 
you want to hop on my upper neck and we can you can fly around and everybody's be like, like oh what's this yeah I, I kind of I, I can't do accents so I just I just kind of give them you know more of a tonal <laughs> thing but anyway there's yeah I, I I guess and then people be like oh man it's so crazy nobody but a Targaryen's ever been able to fly a dragon and then everybody you look in the back and like davos will jim the camera everybody breaks the fourth wall <laughs> and stares at the camera jim's the so, camera yeah. dun, I, just, dun, dun. I don't know i just i feel like yeah i feel like it could be it, it could be dumb i'm worried about when they take these big leaps with characters and stuff like that because of what happened last season where they we're just like mm, shit. We need to get these people where they need to be. <laughs> so we're just gonna we're just gonna fast forward all this warp speed. And just, yeah. So whatever. I mean, if if it's fun, you know, say what you will about last season. It was fun. So if it's fun, I guess I can't really be that mad at it. There's but. no denying that. But um, keeping with you, phone. Uh, we're gonna talk about the next topic is going to be a new actress is joining Game of Thrones, uh, Bronte Carmichael, and you will be able to see her in the uh, Winnie the Pooh movie. I'm so amped for that movie. Uh, this is now Winnie the Pooh podcast. So uh, <laughs> I watched that trailer with uh, with Obi-Wan Kenobi in it, and I, I it was... I was so I just already was in because I love Winnie, Winnie the Pooh was my go-to cartoon as a kid, and both the original that I had on VHSs and then the New Adventures. I know both theme songs. Get me drunk and I'll do karaoke. But um, yeah, there was a whenever Jim Cunningham's voice was there, I was like, oh, I got to see this movie. I'm gonna see this theater. I'm gonna cry. Like I'm gonna go see this movie in theaters and I'm gonna cry. Because there's Winnie the Pooh, and it sounds like the Winnie the Pooh from the cartoons. And oh, this is also, this is a tearjerker movie. It's already sub to be a tearjerker. Yeah, you know? do you exactly? So I'm I'm already in with that. So this girl's already cool with me because she's in the Winnie the Pooh movie, which I think we can all agree is a, a much more in depth and intricate plot than Game of Thrones. Obviously, is, yeah. Obviously. So this is just to be nothing for her. So well, and also why you might like her is. She reminds me, looking at her, her photo from the trailer, uh, Christopher Robin is the film, not Winnie the Pooh, as a uh, would like you to think. Um, she reminds me of uh, Liana Mormont, uh, Bella Ramsey. So we're going to have two young actresses on the show. Um, and Hashtag drama. <laughs> uh, we, whenever the uh, Game of Thrones was casting for this role, uh, this was billed as a northern girl. This character is 8 to 10 years old, was brought up in a family of soldiers, and displays dauntlessness and integrity. Who does that remind you of? Leona Mormont, obviously. The role is said to be a very nice standout part for a very strong-minded young girl with a fighting spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of want to see Bronte Carmichael and Bella Ramsey duke it out on set. Like, I just want to see fisticuffs between these two little girls. Like, I just, I don't know why! I know that makes me weird, but I just think it would be badass to see Leona Mormont and this girl, whoever she's going to play, Corey Smith. Um, any ideas of who we, we might see her? Belong, what house is she going to be a Mormont? We know that House Mormont has is a house of. Um, it's basically a matriarchy now, isn't it? With uh, all the all the guys gone. Well, I'm, well, Jorah's still around. Um, 
you know, if he got some sort of royal pardon. Well, um, yeah, true. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna um, advocate for uh, child violence, child on child <laughs> violence. But uh, unless I, we're talking about Joffrey, right? There's right. an exception uh, to every child. rule. I, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. There's gonna be girl power, and she's gonna be like. She's gonna say, "Yeah, I'm gonna take you under my wing. Come on." I think what I think what I think what's most likely is we saw last season where John was talking about. How everybody in the North, not just the men and the boys, needed to learn how to fight, but the women and the children as well. So my guess is everything's shit's gonna hit the fan in a major way, and we're gonna see, you know, children fighting off the the dead and the White Walkers. So, but she's this I'm is guessing, a, this is a standout part. It's not just a right. one-off scene like, hey, here's my no. sister. Oh God, she's dead. Well, right. no, I mean, we're not saying that it's, it may be just, she may be only in for one episode. Even that woman, um, in, in, what was it, in Heart Home. Carson. That I, abs- uh, that right. I absolutely Carson. loved. I mean, she was only in one flipping episode, but. By the way, she, she was phenomenal in most- Perfect too. Just gonna say, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> um, but she made the most out of that episode, and I, I was left kind of, when she died, and she, and then she came back to life as a dead thing. But, uh, I, you know, I was like, I felt like, damn it, she, the possibilities of her character were were so, I mean, I understand why they killed her off, but it, I just would have loved to have seen more of her. And I think that's when they what they mean by they're saying, oh, this is going to be a standout part. It may only right. be for one episode. It may not be for the whole entire season. It may just be one episode, but it's going to make a huge impression. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, uh, also... I just coughed into the mic, so that means I have to talk. Um, there's a the the character Is that, that how we're we do it. Is that what we're supposed to? Okay, <laughs> it's, it's, Shit, it's, it's our that way part. of that's okay. our that's our version of having the the conch is coughing into the mic. So I've got, I've got the conch. I'm speaking. <laughs> so we're forgetting about the other character that that kind of sounds like because she's older now, but that kind of sounds like Arya. And I mm. think that there is is a possibility that in the mayhem of trying to fight like everybody having to fight like whoever it was on this podcast i said that was one of you smart people that everybody's going to have to fight that aria might see a pretty gifted young girl and take her under her wing maybe or something along those lines might try to help her out i don't know i think there's, there's or she a could lot. just kill her and take her face i'm that take her face too. exactly right yeah yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah. I think that I want her to take the, uh, like a white Walker's face and then get right up behind the night King and then just shiv him right through the heart. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of options that we might not even be considering. We did the same thing last year with the guy the uh, with Dick on with that casting. Oh, um, poor guy. Cause when they cast Tom Hooper, what's his name, right? Hooper. And, uh, yeah. They, they cast him, and, and they really didn't tell us who he was at first, and we saw the casting call, and we were like, oh, man, this could be a really interesting character. Not that it wasn't interesting, but it was, you know, it was like, why would you cast the guy from that show to just be a running joke about his name and then get burned to death? Mm-hmm. So, like, it yeah. was, it, you know, there, there's no telling what this could be, for sure. But I, I, I think it is fun to speculate, but it's also, I think, important for us to, to realize that at this point, we should understand that we don't know what the hell they're gonna do on this show. I've seen people. So. I've seen people mention in the comments that uh, Bella Ramsey herself has had kind of a growth spurt. 
Um, and if Game of Thrones is going to pick up basically where they left off season seven, that it'd be kind of uh, out of place. But I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't, I'm not. I don't really... know. What's the, the the kid Bran grew eight feet? Yeah, he was like. <laughs> so... Yeah, oh, that's, that's yeah, kind of. They're not recasting Bella Ramsey. No, they, they can't. Freaking love that. Girl. But I would There's love no to way. see this this new actress, uh, Car- Bronte Car. Or is it Bronte? Yeah, Bronte Carmichael. Um, standing alongside Bella Ramsey, standing up in the hall of Winterfell, as all the old guys, all the bearded northern lords are standing, uh, sitting around the hall, quaking in their boots because they're scared that the, the army of the dead's coming, and she just stands up and goes, What's up, bitches? You thought you were scared of me? Look at my sister! You know, some kind of shit. That's, that's how their voices go in my head. I don't know why. I'm sorry about that. I apologize. But that's how it sounds. That was absolutely horrible. Let's I, move on. <laughs> Just say it. Uh, you know, I, I can see – I would love to see Bella Ramsey, Liana Mormont, who already is intimidating and intimidates every other person in the room, have a little protege stand beside her. Uh, but, you know, we talked about this in our last podcast. Corey Smith and I talked about the map of the region of the north, and I was looking at um, the map. Of course, I've started my reread of A Song of Ice of Fire. It takes about – a good if, – if, if I break it up, it takes about a year. So I've started it last week, and um, I'm, I'm in A Game of Thrones right now, and I've got this uh, illustrated edition. I was looking at the maps, and the the Night the King's army breaks through Eastwatch by the sea. It goes straight through uh, the Last Hearth, which is the home of um, the, the Umbers. Umbers. The Umbers, correct. And then it kind of skirts Carhold, which is – you know, the car starts. And then you've got Winterfell is right the next place, kind of in the path a little bit. So, and Mormons are off on their own little island, right, Smith? They're off, they're not really. Way, way off to the west. Right, so they're not really in the path. Good. So they're they're choosing. This is what's so badass about the Mormons. They're choosing, because Liana Mormont is who she is, they're choosing to stand with the rest of the north and fight. Um She's not going to stand in the back. They're all going to grab up a bow and arrow and a sword, and they're going to fight. So it would just be awesome to see another girl like Liana stand up and fight. And just the description of this character, family of soldiers, sounds like Mormont. Uh, dauntlessness and integrity sounds like Mormont. It just sounds like we're, we're casting another Mormont. And in the books, there's lots of female, strong females in House Mormont. It's, they're, they're talked about. So... Depending on what the show wants to do, they could age up or age down one of the characters, and you've got who Bronte Carmichael could be playing. But um, I'll, for- just, I'll just say this right now. For what you have said of the character, I am fucking here for it. So let's go. Absolutely. It's going to be badass. I'm very excited about it. But um, what we're going to round out the, the podcast with tonight is um, before, before we get to our last topic, uh, Corey Smith, we're going to – Circle back to a topic we talked about before you jumped on, and uh, Corey Thon and I just wanted to get your opinion on this. Lady Stoneheart's going to be in Winds of Winter and a prominent figure. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I told you guys he wasn't. he's not a Lady Stoneheart fan. I mean, I'm just I, – I don't – she's just like a non – like what are you a fan of? Like, and that's all we need to talk about with Corey Smith's opinion. I I'm just kidding. don't. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, when Martin said those comments, it just it kind of struck me as like him saying, 
I'm going to make my books way different from this show, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. It kind of seemed a little, like, but see, petty. I, but I tell you, that is has been, before, even before that, those comments started coming out, that has been a, a popular theory yep. about why the books are taking so long, is that the show did its own thing, and it was cl- too close, and maybe not better, but just such a different direction maybe than what George is going to do that he had to go back and change things to make it more original or more um, his own. You know what I mean? Like he, cause he told them like, here's where this character is going to end up. Here's where this character ends up. Here are the big events. And then they kind of built up to it themselves. And it not necessarily was better, but you know what I mean? Like just the kind of like the big theory with, uh, with, with Harvey Potter that um, there was a, uh, <laughs> The one, the nerdy kid, was actually the chosen one, and that, and, and it was uh, Harry Potter was a smokescreen for the entire series. But that people figured it out by the fourth or fifth book, and it was a really popular theory online. And so the late uh, Rowling had to, she changed it and kept it Harry Potter. Just you mean like Neville? Like, well, the, Neville was the chosen yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Neville. that. Yeah, I'm not a Harry Potter dude, but if you. It, it, my Leanne is, and she's like, no, it makes total sense if you read the first few books that Neville is actually the. <laughs> the chosen one and that it makes know. total sense well i mean and yeah because yeah, total because they even have the prophecy that is linked both to the to both of them so yeah exactly yeah so neville can, hits on checks all that. boxes so, yeah. yeah and i could see this that is now the harvey then, potter uh podcast yeah. well yeah well better than the winnie the pooh podcast whoa whoa, um, whoa 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 you watch your goddamn mouth but I mean, I, I could definitely see Martin having gone back and switching some stuff up. Um, I think it's ego, maybe just a little bit of that ego. Maybe, like, uh, I, I could do better than that and having to change it. I mean... A lot of people in... <laughs> obviously, Reddit is, is can be fringe a lot of the times, uh, but a lot of people subscribe to the fact that he's not going to release Winds of Winter until after Season 8 is done. Um, because... And it will be soon after season eight is done because a they'll get to tell his version of the story, b he'll he'll be able to ride the wave of popularity from season eight while it's still fresh in everybody's mind, and it will be in between the prequels basically that or one of the prequels whatever gets made for HBO. So I've I've long said I mean I, the past couple of years I've said that I think that once the show is off the air. I think we're going to start to hear a little bit more from Martin about how he wasn't necessarily happy with aspects of the show. We've heard like, grumblings to, before too. Yeah, so I, I think, and I think right now he's just kind of, you know, he's letting them do it, and he's not trying to sound like a, you know, like he's sour or anything. He's like gonna that. make that paper. Like he's not right. gonna turn he's down. He's got the you check. because he's already right. he's an employee of HBO basically. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But this can't. is the thing. But this is the thing too is that he can't really be too fucking pissed about it because it's not like we're and I'm going to bring up another uh TV show that is based off of books, Outlander. Okay, Outlander has 8 fucking books. True. All right. True that. And then you have Outlander who is now what going into their what third season? Fourth, third, I fourth. Fourth, yeah, fourth season and everything. There is material to cover. All these seasons, you know, that if, if they wanted to go to eight seasons, I don't know if they will or not. But, I mean, if they wanted to, they could. So you can't be pissed off that the show said, all right, well, guess what? We've caught up to you. We're not going to wait on you. We're going to continue on. So your story has now become whatever I, we put on there. Especially since know. his last book, 
A Dance with Dragons came out in 2011. He's had because plenty I think of time. I I had to I have to believe that Benioff and Weiss would have been okay with saying, okay, well, let's go ahead and tell the story that you want to tell, you know, on TV, and and of course, you know, they're going to have to do some editing and everything. It's not going to be a hundred percent his story, but it could have been, you know, at least ninety percent his story had he had already had these books already out. Um, you can't just expect a big company like HBO to say, okay, I'll sit here for four years or however long it takes him to write a damn book um, for you to go ahead and get this book out. No, sorry, this train, this is a moving damn train. You better get on it or guess what? We will go ahead and make it up as we go along. And for, you know, a show like Outlander who has tons of source material to go off of, there, there's no, there's no problem with that. They can, I mean, Granted, some of the stuff doesn't make it from the book to the to TV, but the core of the story does. Yeah, but I I think the problems came when he I I can totally see him being upset when they essentially cut an entire book from the series because they condensed his fourth and fifth book into one season, and they got Danny out of Marine way fast. I mean, she's still stuck in fucking Marine. Two the books infamous Marine's not. Right, so I I think that he's uh, he, he's either he's slightly uh, annoyed that maybe they did it better than he did, and so like because he he's admitted he doesn't even know how to get Danny out of Marine in the books, and Benioff and Weiss were like, hey, we will just have a fight and put her on a ship. No, Benioff and Weiss were like, we're gonna burn her her ships first, and then we're gonna bring over another group, right. and then she's so gonna steal I, some more ships. I mean, I agree. I wouldn't. I, I. I don't think you have any right to be upset because, yeah, they aren't going to stop the show for you. But at the same time, just because he doesn't have a right to do it, doesn't mean he's not going to do it. You know what I mean? He's. He's still. I think. I think we're going to find out. Like I said, we're going to find out afterwards. Not that he's like furious, but just that he was annoyed or you know a little ticked off. You know about and George how R. R. Martin is not shy with his opinions. Right, really and not. I think right now he's. Maybe contractually, you know, you know, he might be in breach of contract if he starts just totally blasting the show or something like that, or you know, what have you. But I, I think there's some behind the scenes stuff going on. Well, and we'll, we'll, I'll move off this topic, and we can go on to our last topic after this. But I will say this one last point: in season five, in the finale, when Brienne killed Stannis, and before that, when Stannis burned Shireen, um, George R. R. Martin's I don't want to call them his writing partners because they're not. They're people who have worked with Martin on other projects, Elio and Linda from Westeros.org. I'm sorry. I apologize for for butchering that. Um, They really came out on their their Facebook and their YouTube channels, and they were like, George did not approve this. He's not happy with this. Uh, I can guarantee you this is not how this this was a story was going to happen. Like Linda – really went off. I don't know if, if, if you guys probably don't know who I'm talking about. People who listen to this podcast probably don't know who I'm talking about. Ellie and Linda are big in the fandom. Uh, they were instrumental in getting uh, A World of Ice and Fire, the the companion books to A Song of Ice and Fire out, a book, and um, it's a great book. If you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Um, and they, they worked, they've worked closely with George R. R. Martin. Um, and so they were very vocal about Season 5's uh, 
Shireen's burning and the way Brienne kills Dennis. So, um, yeah, I think Smith's right. I think we'll probably hear some things when all this is said and done. But, but we but, all know that season sucked. That was like maybe the worst season. So absolutely. But you're right. It was a terrible season. But they did a lot of things right by um, they Stannis's plot. A lot of people say Stannis's plot in the books is is, is overextended already. Yeah. Um, could you not? Could you not say that? And, and, and I'm. Might be getting things mashed up in my head because I've slept a lot since that season. But wasn't that the season where that it was almost like they were in a holding pattern with a lot of stuff, waiting on George to finish the damn book? Yes. So that so so I, it almost feels like the reason the show took a dip there for a bit was because they were like, well, we're, George is trying to give you time to finish this fucking book you've been writing for the last eight hundred years. That was and, the very first time we heard about the four things that Martin told. Benioff and Weiss, the four surprises, the four big twists in his books, was that Stannis was supposedly going to kill Shireen. That was supposed so, to be one of the big twists. So yeah, anyway, I, I, I don't want to get off that topic, but I think that it goes both ways on down that street, is that if, if, he, if he write his books faster, then he could probably stick to the books a little better, but whatever. I mean, there was no way he was going to write those books as fast as the show was getting made, so I don't know. If you, if you think about this. Season one of Game of Thrones came out in 2011, and that's when his last book was published, 2011. So there was time, but whatever. We can move on to our last topic. Um, everybody knows who Gendry is. Everybody's uh, favorite uh, sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Joe Dempsey is the actor. He's been in the news lately talking about Old the final square season. jaw McForearms. <laughs> He's a favorite. He's a favorite character of yours. He's handsome. He's a handsome fellow. I I will admit that. And um, he talked about he is going to have Gendry's going to have a larger role in season eight than he's had previous seasons. So we're going to see more of Gendry. Yay! How how much more of like shirtless well, Gendry are we going to have like <laughs> pantsless? Gendry? Answer the question, David. I just want to know, Janet. <laughs> Am I in my fan fiction dreams of him and Arya getting hooking it up gonna happen? I mean, that's I would that's feel what dirty. I, want. I would feel dirty if I saw Arya hooking up with anybody on screen. I just would because we've seen her since she was. Are you girl. serious? I can't. Even I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I can't handle oh, it. I'm sorry, God, you are oh. such a freaking cock blocker. Anyway. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, but I I think Gentry's gonna have a bit longer of a story to tell in season eight. I apologize because he said things like. He he he's alluding to the fact he knows how the ending is. Obviously, if he's going to be in season eight, he was probably there for the final table read. Um, and since he was brought into season seven, um, we know that now that he is the last remaining Baratheon. Even though he's a bastard, he's still a Baratheon, and so he's the last of the bloodline. So um, he says that he, he made a comment saying that. Um, the showrunners, Benioff and Weiss, don't pay too much attention to people's theories and speculation. That's all over the internet. So he's talked about how people have speculated how Game of Thrones will end in the final season. Um, he said that uh, there are many pitfalls with writing the, the, talking about writing the final season and that it's an ending that many people will be ex- won't be expecting. And on reflection, people will really, really, really enjoy. So um, he's kind of echoing what other other actors have said, but he's he's kind of saying something that we haven't heard yet. It's not going to be something that we've guessed. This could be um, hyperbole coming from somebody saying, no, no, you haven't figured out the ending, but totally you figured it out. So you never really know. Um, but we will have Joe Dempsey and Gendry uh, 
with an extended part in season eight. How does everybody feel about that? Isis, I know you feel great about it, but how do you really feel about it? No, I'm serious. Like, I, I really want to see his role expanded. Um, I think he's a really great addition. I mean, I've been screaming for him since he got on that fucking boat that he was rowing. Um, I really am excited about the relationship that he could have with uh, Jon Snow. Um, Jon Snow doesn't have really a lot of close people. Um, you know, he basically, like, the close people in his in his life, he could probably count with one hand. Um, so I, I like the fact that, you know, Joe Dempsey's part of that or can be part of that. Um, his relationship with Arya, is, I think, is going to be really great and refreshing. Um, and I joke around about fan fiction. Yes, I read fan fiction, and I love the fact that, you know, in the fan fiction that I read, they're like my secret, second favorite couple. <laughs> but um, but I think he's just an overall a really good guy. You know, he, you know, he is not his, his father. You know, he, he is not his father. Right. Uh, and I, I really feel like he could be con- – can be redeeming for the Baratheons. And um, so I think he can really bring something to the table. Um, but I do want to see his relationship, you know, continue on with the Starks. So I say I'm all for it. I, I think he brings some good comedic relief um, as well. And he already has this established relationship with all these characters. It's not like he has to establish this relationship. He already has this relationship with them. So it's not like, Oh, we're bringing a brand new character, you know, on the very last season. No, we, we know who he is. They all like him or, or have a relationship with him and we can continue on. So I'm all all for it. And he Uh, looks good shirtless. Mm. (laughs) So, um, Corey Thone, I know you feel exactly how Isis feels. Um, shirtless Gendry is you're here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, um, he's uh, no. I I think that the last time that a a Stark and a Baratheon got together for a Westeros wide battle, it was pretty cool. At least yeah, in the books, some Targaryens so, died. Yeah, so I, I think that, uh, that I'm looking forward to that. He they do a really good job. I think. Because it's been so long since we saw Mark Addy and and um, King Robert, but they do a really good job of having him have a lot of the same beats comedically, and you know the ah fuck it, let's hit it with a hammer. Like that's just kind of like <laughs> that's, that's I'm sure that's exactly how young Robert was, and you know even though John isn't actually Ned's son he is exactly like Ned because <laughs> he was raised just he was you know admired him so much so I mean I think it's cool to see that play out and then throw a Targaryen in the mix because you know if you remember uh, it's it's funny Gendry's dad wanted to like tried to have you know uh, Daenerys killed right. and yada yada so I mean it's really it all comes full circle where they're all they all team together to defend Westeros against what they should have been planning to defend it against and all that stuff. So the it's, entire it's damn cool. time. Yeah. Smith, um, Gendry versus Jon Snow on the Iron Throne, Gendry versus Daenerys. Gendry have a, does Gendry have a claim at all? Because he's got to be legitimized, right? Yeah, it's, he's got to be legitimized by a king. So what – and then he's going to turn around and take the throne from the person who legitimizes him? Uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Unless Jon Snow and Danny die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, first of all, I call bullshit that nobody's guessed the ending because I'm just guessing he hadn't, he doesn't know about Reddit 
Um, <laughs> no, he does. He's made a lot of jokes about the, the Gendry rowing memes on Reddit. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I think Martin said that we've, we've guessed more or less the ending at this point. So, I mean, somebody's guessed it. It's, it's impossible that nobody's guessed it. If but... somebody guessed that Hodor's name literally meant hold the door years right. before it was revealed on the show, then yeah, somebody's guessed the ending. Exactly. We may not have the exact details, but we've, somebody's got the general idea. So, I mean, yeah. As far as his expanded role, I mean, dude was in, what, two scenes last season? So, I mean, it doesn't take a lot for him to have an expanded role next <laughs> Next season. It's just season hey, eight. Hey, season hold eight on, just... hold on. Look, asshole, don't take this away from me. <laughs> no, no, no. That being, that being said, I, I think, I think Sarah was the first one that mentioned this to me, at least. Um, that Gendry makes the perfect match for Arya, and I've always, oh yeah, that sense. You know, his the fact that he, he, if he is legitimized, he didn't grow up as a highborn. He grew up as a bastard. He grew up on the streets. So he's not going to have a stick up his, his ass and therefore be incompatible with Arya. He's the perfect person for Arya. And then, you, of course, you throw in the fact that they, all their shared experiences that they had on the road, um, you know, leaving King's Landing and all that stuff. So I think that's what they mean by expanded role. I think he ends up with Arya. He gets legitimized and he ends up with Arya. You know, and they oh, so a Baratheon actually ends up with a Stark, right? Mm-hmm. And well, and they wanted to, you know, Robert said we're going to join our houses. There you go. Eventually, it's going to happen, right? And it all comes. And the simple. other thing I'll say is he, he he gave he's given like I don't know five or six interviews in the past week because he has yeah that he's new, been very popular because he's got this new show coming out uh right. spies or new movies and something he, like that. yeah and so he mentioned something about like. He, he mentioned something about he was very happy to be at the end of the show if he was at the end of the show or something like that. And it's like, dude, okay, you basically just revealed that you make it all the way to the end. Uh, <laughs> he's like, it'd be really cool to make it to the end of the show just to feel what it would be like. You know, it would just be really proud or something. Like, and you're if just like, I did it, wink, wink. If, if. And so, yeah, so, but. I'm gonna call I, I it though. I'm gonna call it season eight is gonna be Gendry running still from yeah. from like Eastwatch, but he's taking off his shirt because he's gotten really sweaty. Yeah, exactly. And he's running so, all the way to King's Landing, and he just doesn't stop. And yeah, by I, I think I think he ends up with Arya. As to wanting to see that on screen, no, that's all right. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's his expanded role. He ends up with Arya at the end, and they settle down. And I only say that because we've watched Arya grow from a little girl, yes, to this. I don't. Woman. I don't see it shaking out to where we need an actual scene of them, like on a boat. If you know what I'm talking about, but I do think it would be. It would be not. I think that's a that would be an interesting and I think pretty cool ending is to have like Arya because like I'm I think that it's at least more likely that Arya can't deal with being in the same place forever. Like, so she's going to go off and do crazy Arya things. And, uh, after it's all said and done, if she lives, like, I don't think she'll be able to, to be a lady of Winterfell and stuff, but if she settles down with 
Gendry. Storms then. Storms in with Gendry. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that would be. I, I don't know. So whatever. Anyway, I, I would we're like getting to see we're getting like, so far into the weeds right now. We are. We are. And we need it in this crazy. podcast. But I would like to see a scene where we have Arya and Gendry standing in front of somebody holding a ceremony, and Gendry puts the Baratheon cloak on top of on her back, like Tyrion did to Sansa or Joffrey did to uh, Marjorie and, on the show. So. And then then they put him. Then she puts a medal. Around Around Han Solo's neck, and but Chewie doesn't Chewbacca. get one. Like Ghost wouldn't, Ghost wouldn't get one, and everybody'd be pissed off. I get it. Okay, so um, that's the end of the podcast. We went a little long. Uh, Corey Smith, thank you for joining us midway and ruining the uh, the smooth beat of the podcast. I kid you. It's always fun. But um, uh, how about you did though? <laughs> but you did. You really did. I have to go back and edit the fuck out of this. But anyway, um, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. If you got any comments, anything you want us to talk about. We're going to try to record next week to make up for the week we missed last week. So uh, if you've got anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast, let us know in the comments below. But for myself, Razor, for Corey Thone, for Isis, and for Corey Smith, this has been Take the Black Podcast. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. Uh, like us. Give us some, a, good, a good rating if you, if you do. That's pretty cool. And uh, make sure to check out Take the Black Live with Dan on the Winners Coming Facebook. Uh, we are expanding our brand. So... Thanks for listening. Wala Ramogus. <laughs> <laughs>